And now let's turn to uh, Zephaniah chapter 3. And let's hear God's holy and inspired word. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are unprincipled. They are treacherous people. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning he dispenses his justice, and every new day he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. I have destroyed nations. Their strongholds are demolished. I have left their streets deserted with no one passing through. The cities are laid waste. They are deserted and empty. Of Jerusalem, I thought, surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. On that day you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove from you arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but I will leave within you the meek and humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank you that by your spirit you inspired the prophets long ago to make yourself known to Israel and to the nations. And now, Lord, even as you have made yourself known long ago, make yourself known to us today by revealing who you are as the God of the prophets that we might humble ourselves before you and rejoice in the way of your salvation and b- draw our hearts more close, closer to you, our great and glorious God. So we give you praise. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who is glorified forever. Amen. If you have your bulletin, you'll see in, in the middle there's a, a, some notes uh, there. There's like an outline. You can fill in some things if you want to. And uh, it's, uh, it might be a little bit more complicated in the last few weeks, but I think you can do it. And uh, 
Um, I'm going to go right into the point. So I don't have much of an introduction. The, the, the first point is kind of the introduction. So the, the, if you're looking at that, you see number one, it's the imperiled world. The imperiled world. Because what people look around when they see the world, and if you just talk to people a little bit, they see an imperiled world. They see a world that is imperiled by climate change or by uh, tyranny or by racism or by uh, disease or by economic problems uh, income inequality, and so on. So those are the types of things that people look at in the world, and they see we have an imperiled world. Now, when you look at the prophets, they also saw an imperiled world. But they saw it for a different reason. They saw that it was, the world was imperiled beyond all these problems by God himself, because his judgment was coming on the world, because of human beings and what the wrongs they had done. So listen to what Zephaniah says as one example of this in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So they see the Lord coming to just wipe away everything. They, and the prophets looked at this as the great day of the Lord. The great day of the Lord. You will find that this word has many meanings in the Bible. The day of the Lord can refer to the day of worship. Or it can refer to any day where God comes and does something great, whether for deliverance or for judgment. And here Zephaniah sees that they all point to this great day of the Lord, the big day of the Lord, when he comes to set everything right and judge the world. Listen to what it says in chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. This is the day of the Lord that is coming. In the verses we just read, we see the same threat to the world, and we see it imperiled by God's judgment. Zephaniah 3, verse 8. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. And so in light of this vision of God and seeing an imperiled world, the question that all the prophets have is, how is the world going to survive? How can the world possibly survive in light of the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God and his wrath coming upon the world? Now, we can say that in our nation at least, this is not the common question that is asked. People are thinking that God is a God of love only and not a God of wrath, not a God who judges sin. And as I noted uh, earlier, I've had the opportunity this summer to drive Uber, and I'm, I'm always cautious about how I engage in these conversations, but um, one guy asked me about zip lines, and I said, I don't really know much about it. And I said, so he asked me, well, what's your area of expertise? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. We could talk about theology. And I thought he would just dismiss it, but instead we got into a lengthy discussion. And uh, he told me that uh, something that, that uh, he and his girlfriend had been talking about sin and wrath and judgment of God and grace and all that. And his girlfriend said that he needed to see his sin and that, that he needed to repent of, of of the things that he had done and find the grace of God. But 
He said, you know, I've done these things wrong, but I just don't feel very bad about it. And I even know, he said, I even know in my head that these things are wrong, but I just don't feel that bad. Well, the problem is that, um, that we shouldn't base what we think simply on our feelings. One of the most important lessons we can learn is that our feelings don't always match reality. Sometimes they're actually really distorted. Whatever, but you know, we tend, but they're so loud, they're so real that we tend to treat them as the most real thing. And so if we don't have feelings, we think something doesn't exist. And if we have strong feelings, we think something does exist. But that's not really the way of wisdom. We need to look beyond our feelings to what's really there. And we need to go on the basis of God's revelation and on the basis of our reason to know what is really there. And so that's what, I, that's what I told him, and I encouraged him to consider the cross and what that meant about how God viewed sin. We'll talk about that here in a moment. So, But even in Zephaniah's days, there were people who thought the same way, and God had a word for them. He says in Zephaniah 1.12, At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think, the Lord will do nothing either good or bad. The Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. That's kind of how a lot of people view it today. But that's not in accord with reality. That's not how God is. And both the Bible and our reason teach us this. And so what we need to see is that God is a holy God. The Bible reveals that he is a God who takes sin seriously. And that should lead us to repent. In this passage, one of the questions is, how is there any hope for human beings? And Zephaniah does hold out a little bit of hope, and he calls them to repent. He says, be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. And he tells them, seek the Lord, all you humble the land. You who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. And so one of our reactions to the revelation of God as the God who is holy and righteous and will judge the world in faithfulness and with equity, is that we should be silent before him. We should humble ourselves. We need to think more seriously about where we stand with God than we have up to this point. Because God takes these things very seriously. Now, if there's one nation in the world that should have listened to this message, it was the nation of Israel. But instead, we find quite the opposite. And so we find Israel is also imperiled as well. So that's the second point is imperiled Israel. Israel was the one nation that should have listened. They had the law, the covenants, the prophets, the temple, the priests, and on and on. But what did they do? They completely rejected all of it. Zephaniah 3.7 says the message from God to them is this. Of Jerusalem, the capital, I thought, surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. How terrible it is to have that message that they've heard over and over again, completely rejected. This is the one nation that should have listened. And they wouldn't listen, even though God sent his prophets to correct them. And so this is how God viewed them. Zephaniah 3, 1 through 2. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. 
She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. And you can read the end of the books of 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings, and you can find out what those sins were, and also in the book of Jeremiah. And he recounts, for example, that one of the things they had done is that they had enslaved their fellow Israelites. And God said, if you want, if you want to avert this judgment, let those slaves free. And they did. But then they freaked out, and they took them all back into slavery. And God's like, now you've, now you've really done it. In addition, they, they, God gave them the temple, that beautiful place where they could seek them. But instead, they set up idols everywhere. And they sought all the other gods. And they wouldn't listen to the Lord. And so Israel was imperiled as well. It looks like the ho- there is no hope for Israel. But then if there's no hope for Israel, how is there hope for the rest of the world? But what Zephaniah tells us is there was a lot of hope. There was a lot of hope. There is hope for Israel. There is hope for Israel. That was his message. In essence, God says, I'm going to clear the land. I'm going to send Israel into exile. I'm going to send them away from their land. They're going to experience some real tough times, some severe punishment. But I'll bring them back. But I'll bring them back. Listen to what he says at the end of his prophecy. At that time I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Zephaniah 3, 19 through 20. And so you will see this theme develop in the prophets that Israel is going to be removed from their land. Because of all their idolatry, because of all their injustices, God is going to deal with them severely. But he's going to bring them back. And this is actually a huge theme in the Bible. Um, For example, Moses in Deuteronomy said to them, basically, none of you are going to listen to what God says. You're actually going to be terrible at this. And here's a song, and you can sing about it every, every, every year. But then he says, after you've really done, you've rejected the Lord, he sent you out, here's what's going to happen. The Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. Deuteronomy 30, 3-4. Jeremiah speaks of this, and he calls this a new covenant. When he brings the people back and he gives them a new heart and new spirit so that they begin to serve the Lord unlike before. And in Zephaniah, it's described this way. Then I will purify the lips of the people, peoples that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. Zephaniah 3.9. And so you can see that there's an erratically different attitude in God as he talks about the future of Israel. Whereas he's like, before he's saying, I'm ready to sweep the land clear. I'm ready to consume everything with the fire of my jealousy. Then he contemplates that day when he brings them back. And he says, the Lord your God is with you in that day. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, 
he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I love that picture. It's like God is so happy with his people at this point that he's just can't help but singing about them. We sing to the Lord, but the Lord sings about his people. And what you will see is that that is just what God did. He brought the people back. And you can read about that in the books of Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Ezra, Nehemiah. And what you will see there is that God not only brought the people back to the land physically, he brought about a revival and restoration to him. So they began to to obey the Lord in ways they had never done before. He gave them a new heart and new spirit. And so what Zephaniah says is there's hope. Even though things look bleak in the moment, there's tremendous hope for Israel. So now, what does that have to do with the rest of us? If we end here, we'll say, well, cool for Israel. But what about me? Well, what we see is that beyond the hope for Israel, there is hope for the world. Because as you look at the language of the return from exile throughout the Old Testament, you will see that even though it does refer to the return uh, of, Israel to, of Israel to the land from Babylon, it's clearly a much bigger return from exile that is in view. Because there's a bigger exile that is in view. The bigger exile is man leaving the garden, going away from the Lord in his presence, being alienated from him. And the question of the whole Bible is, how is the world going to be brought back? The issue of the land points to the restoration of the whole earth to the Lord. And so the bigger question is, in light of God's wrath, how can there be a return from exile? Here God is saying, I'm going to sweep everything away. I'm going to consume everything with the fire of my jealousy. Well, the answer to that is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the, question, the answer to the question all the prophets are asking. How does the world survive? The answer is God comes down, the second person of the Trinity, and becomes a human being and experiences the wrath of God in its fullness so that the world doesn't have to experience it. So that anyone who puts their trust in that person, Jesus, does not have to experience the wrath of God, but instead can have God rejoice over them with singing. The cross is the answer that all the prophets were looking for. Jesus comes as a substitute for a world of lost sinners. And the result is that because Jesus suffers the wrath of God, that there can be a restoration of the human race. They can experience the power that Jesus begins at his resurrection and be restored unto God. And you can see that that's really what is in view in Zephaniah 3.9. Notice he doesn't just say, I'll purify the lips of Israel, but he says, I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. And so the idea is that the whole world's returning from exile. There's a restoration of the world to return to God. Now, as you look through the minor prophets, 
you will see that they are speaking of this day over and over again. This great day when, when the worship of God, the true God, is going to go worldwide. And there's going to be all sorts of people being restored. And when the apostles looked at that day, thought, looked at what it said in the Minor Prophets, and then looked at what was happening in their day when all of the Gentiles, all the nations were coming to believe in Jesus, they said, that day is right now. We are experiencing it. And though they didn't say it explicitly about this one, they say it about the other ones, and it's talking about the same day when the peoples are restored, when the peoples are renewed. And so that's what happens. What we read about in Zephaniah chapter 3 is fulfilled every time a person comes to God, every time they are restored, every time they come back from their exile and come home. When that happens, then we can say that the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing because you are now part of his people. And that should be our great desire as we look out into the world, is to see the exiles come home, that God would send us, as our brother sang, to the places where there's no hope, where there's no joy, just because they don't know the Lord God. Because everybody can come if they will just believe on the Lord. And you can see that this is the view of Jesus, too. In Luke chapter 15, verse 7. He talks about the rejoicing of God. And he says, There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, over one exile who returns, than over 99 who are already back home. That's the joy that God has as people come home. That's what Zephaniah is telling us about today. So let me just conclude by giving you like four takeaways from, from this book. What should we do with this? First, we should take sin more seriously. You know, even though this is the day of restoration, God is still the God of the prophets. He's still the God of wrath. And we need to humble ourselves before him. He still takes it seriously. The cross still matters. Second, we should take sin seriously, but we should also rejoice. Because God has not let the world be swept away. He dealt with sin and the cross so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be restored. So, As we look at our own sins, the things we struggle with, the things that we've done in the past, we shouldn't let it drive us to despair because God is come and the day of restoration is here. There's power in the blood of Christ to bring healing to each one of you. Third, we should not look at the world with so much gloom because though there are problems, though there's sin in the world, this is the day of restoration. The exiles are coming home. We have evidence of that today. We are a long way from Jerusalem. But yet here we are, gathered, who were strangers and aliens from the covenants of promise, worshiping the Lord. And today we have brother from, brothers and sisters from Dominican Republic, from Peru, all over the world. People are being restored. There's no reason we should look out onto anywhere we see around us and say there's no hope. This is the day of restoration. They can come home by God's grace. And finally, God has called us to be part of this restoration. So we should not be so afraid of telling people about Jesus. 
This is the day of restoration. God is calling the exiles home. And he'll do it through us. He's freeing the captives. So let's join with God in what he is doing. And let's, re- let's look to rejoice in singing over the returned exiles like our father, the mighty warrior, does. Amen.